Hello, welcome to another episode of Interjections, the Undiscovered Decade, a podcast where we discuss the 1990s and we look 30 years back on the month we're recording in and presenting in to see maybe a hidden gem that we've hoped to have dug up from that time period. Uh, We're in September 1993, uh, and it's a little bit sad because we uh, ended up Discovering that uh, over the course of the last few years, we lost a lot of the actors that were in this film, including our lead, unfortunately, to a degenerative disease. Uh, I wanted to see this a couple of years ago, and the opportunity came up for us to do it for the podcast. But since then, we covered him for Death Becomes Her, and he popped up for uh, uh, that other film, Billy Bathgate, back in the first season. So I I thought we'd go through Bruce Willis's career joyfully uh over the course of this podcast but sadly he's obviously fighting that aphasia uh but we can still look back on the film that he did in september 93 called striking distance i almost guarantee no one remembers this or brings this up as one of his best yeah Uh, but it's a nice surprise uh there's also like i said unfortunately a slew of character actors like john mahoney and dennis farina in the picture behind Corey uh that have passed away since this was made um, a couple other people like Tom Sizemore. We covered him last month for uh, heart and souls. He's back again. We thought we were going to have a fun double feature hit. This is like a, a banner year for Tom Sizemore. And he unfortunately passed away this past February, but for now we're going to honor all their memories with uh, Robert Pastorelli hey. a few years ago. Yeah. He, yeah, should, quite a while ago, actually. It should be noted that we, we, shows all of these film like the entire slate of things we're doing this year in january yeah we always pick it right as we uh do the best of so even even the week so, before january so we didn't know any of this was going to happen i mean uh, yeah some of the older actors were gone for a while farina just passed away his his 10-year anniversary of his death just passed so you know you can't help that but you know, I've liked all these uh, people. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's still around, so this is for now. the beginning of her career. Yeah. Uh, she's, I know, I know. This is the there thing should be an Easter right. Hollywood story let's, about the curse watch of out. Let's get let's get back on the on the yeah. positive track. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to say this is a good movie that we want to remember everyone from. Yes. So um, it's a hidden gem for all of them. It's a little bonkers. It's kind of a yeah. You know, a lot of these 90s action thrillers go off the rails at certain points. And the premise of this has people coming back from the dead, serial killers at large that the cops can't stop, uh, that they call Uh, individual cops to mention they're murdering someone for. They really lean into the the noir aspect of like a lot of women dying, but 90s style. You know, it's great. Within the first five minutes, Bruce Willis basically (laughs) tells you exactly who the killer is and their it's it's <laughs> a no solid, after that yeah it's a solid thriller for the most yeah, part and then it goes and then it goes full like 
full 80s or even though it's the 90s like, full, like it's i meant to say 90s but yeah. it's just you know with the with the canned music and everything it just sounds like this would fit very well in in lifetime movie of the mm-hmm. week yeah especially because it's about a bunch of women dying yeah <laughs> i mean that was sort of the thing for the genre in the early 90s they're 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 still 80s music spilling into it there's the lifetime sensibility so i get what you're <clears> talking about but um has kind of a james patterson murder mystery element to it yeah uh, you know what i think about? this movie this movie would oh. be if lifetime was made for men this is what this movie <laughs> there's a lot of machismo in a spike tv but like rated lifetime so basically what jeff was alluding to was the plot the plot is about. <laughs> uh, I kind of said it. Well, yeah, it's where's it? The movie's set in Pittsburgh, which actually gives it part of its personality. So it's a little more distinctive than most action thrillers around that time period. And the original title for this was Three Rivers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. which I think would have helped it with the marketing in the first place. Would it would have been a better title because like Pittsburgh uh, before... is on three rivers. Yeah, you know where before it's Tristan and I watched this movie, he told he told me about that little snippet, and I was just like, okay. And then like from then from the whole movie on, I'm like, oh yeah, well, the three river. Completely they forgetting also, it's called uh, what's the name of the title again? Striking, striking, this. striking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's also Doesn't that match. women are placed in each river, so it's not just one location. So it is kind of a whole thing about the fact that the city's at the crux of these three rivers. Right. You know, it's very much a centerpiece of the film. And he becomes a boat cop because he's he's shamed from the Pittsburgh PD. So he has to go to what is considered the lowest of the low on security in the city. Well, why why don't we talk about why he's ostracized by the police force? Mm -hmm. He's uh, he gives testimony that incriminates another police officer, which makes him persona non grata within that uh, branch. And not only is it just another cop, it's his cousin and his partner. Right. Who so, ostensibly kills himself. Same person. Yeah. The who kills himself business. right at the beginning of the film. And his father is played by Farina. So in that shot, you see the three of them. Mahoney plays Bruce Willis's father. Dennis Farina plays Robert Pastorelli's father and Bruce Willis's uncle. Right. So then there's another cousin who plays Robert Pastorelli's brother, Tom Sizemore, who we mentioned as well. Uh, when Pastorelli popped up in news reports in the beginning of the film, I thought it was Tom Sizemore. So that's brilliant casting they look so much like each other right um after his rowdy uh harrington does some this is like a little off topic but at the beginning they do a little forced perspective thing with a uh, toy car that i thought was really clever cinematography almost reminded me of uh the deadpool the last uh, oh yeah i made a comment about that uh when i was watching that with tristan it was like we're watching a lot of early 90s movies with openings like involving like miniatures yes i mean the music of chance music of chance had all those miniatures in it and heart and souls entered with that miniature scene and coming into that uh apartment yeah Yeah. it's kind of funny yeah that's, that's a theme this year yeah but yeah it was a cool design i think it's best done for this film but yeah, Raddy Harrington. Uh, what what else did we say he did? He did uh, Jack's Back. He did a serial killer with a movie with uh, James Spader called Jack's Back, where he plays twins. Mm-hmm. Underrated movie. 
Um, he also did a boxing movie that I think we covered, which was we called Gladiator. Yeah. With uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of just kind of tanked his career. You missed the big one, Roadhouse. He's oh, the Roadhouse. Yeah. So he's done a lot of guilty pleasure type movies. Yeah, yeah. So this fits right in with Roadhouses as that. Um. So yeah, speaking of Bruce Willis, around this time period, he was kind of stuck in like action mode, and he famously had said around like the mid to late nineties that he kind of wanted to get out of being relegated to the action genre because, as we all know, he started off in Moonlighting brilliant comedic actor then uh die hard exploded that was Literally. a big breakout on the yeah on the big screen so then he kind of got shoehorned in that genre so this is still him trying to keep his head above water no pun intended yeah 90s but uh as we said earlier in the in the year he's great at supporting roles like uh, Death Becomes Her and stuff like that so I, I kind of feel like he maybe should have done more mo- movies like that. I think because Death Becomes Her isn't a hit either that kept him in this vein. Uh, it seems that Striking Distance was basically the next thing he films. There's something maybe in between but it's clear Color, that he, Color of Night is after this Yeah so they gotta he must be getting action parts nonetheless and he has to take them to you know survive Right. So, pay the bills. My my point of having him pop up in the three films we've had him covered for is that they're all good. <laughs> and I, I guarantee back in the early 90s, everyone had sort of written him off. And that's why he and John Travolta are supposedly, their careers are revived by Pulp Fiction. But at least Bruce is doing good work anyway. People just weren't appreciating it. The sad part is like he's part of that appreciate by Bruce. action heroes during that time with Sly and and uh, Arnold, and they're still doing quality work. Right, you got Terminator 2 and Cliffhanger. Darlings. <laughs> right. Yeah, Bruce is kind of off to the side. So Yeah. And he's the one with debatably the most range. Right. I would I would agree with that. Yeah. He definitely gets to show it here. I think there's a lot of good, a lot of nice touches with his uh, chemistry with Sarah Jessica Parker. They could have taken their relationship to a very strange level. But they sort of understand each other right from the beginning. And he presents key moments where he acknowledges that she's good at her job. Like with the with the rope thing, he, he yeah. when becoming a boat cop, ha- has no time for Timothy Busfield, who is like a nagging superior. And so he lets him fall off the boat when Timothy Busfield takes too long <laughs> removing the rope from his boat. But when Sarah Jessica Barker shows up, Bruce Willis dismisses her because she's a woman and but she does everything correct right away. And he's like, oh, I could get along with her. And as their relationship. He, he also grow. notices that she braces herself too. He was like, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the moment where the two of them unspoken understand each other. So stuff like that, that Rowdy Harrington allows breathe, allows to breathe. Bruce and Sarah both have moments where they can acknowledge each other without subtly, without pointing it out very obviously, you know? So I appreciate that. Like a, a movie like this doesn't usually lend itself to have moments like that, but you know, allowing the relationship to build from those moments, I think, gives this a better quality. I think they added in scenes with her because she she's kind of got a little bit of a thankless role in the second half of the film. 
But uh, there's a reshot scene where they're obviously wearing wigs. That's really bad. Yeah. Um, but I think they bulked up her role based on also she was ascending in popularity around this time. Hocus Pocus had come out, right? And, uh, L.A. Story and stuff like that. So she was that. on the yeah. rise. Yeah. So maybe they added more scenes with her based on based on that. Yeah. I couldn't find anything on like when this was made. I was curious because Hocus Pocus, I thought, was sort of delayed a little bit, and then they ended up putting it in July. And so I wasn't sure which was shot first. I couldn't find that for either. Right. But, you know, I, I liked her performance nonetheless. You know, it's it's kind of a – I wouldn't be surprised if they both bulked it up because they liked what she was doing. Now, in terms of this being a, a murder mystery, was anybody surprised by the reveal at the end? I mean, I probably, really. I probably shouldn't have been. Right. But like, it was, <laughs> it was a bit, bit too shark jumpy. They, yeah. they do. Um, I mean, for they me, do like, sprinkle in some red herrings. Like Tom Sizemore, yeah. at one point says, "I gotta go meet a girl." They're just like, well, obviously he's not the culprit because that was too obvious of a clue. I thought it could have happened if they didn't. Make it subtler. <laughs> right. So I think you're supposed to want that to be that easy. I don't yeah. know. But I, don't know. I thought my... maybe he continued the killings for his brother. Maybe it was both of them, you know? There were a couple of options. Uh, yeah, like a scream type thing. My my suspension of disbelief was not as good as the suspension on the cop cars in these old movies. Oh my god! Yeah, that's one of the things that's always fascinated me. I'm like, Jesus Christ, these things are like woo, 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 woo. that car chase where they're going over hills. <laughs> yeah, in that park. I know Pittsburgh Fantastic. is hilly, and San Francisco is usually the hallmark for car chase scenes because of how angular their streets are. But yeah. I don't think Pittsburgh gets enough credit. They they focus on this in Jack Reacher as well, where it's kind of, you know, you're going up and down everywhere in that city as well. So. Like we said, if it was called Three Rivers, I think people would appreciate it more. Oh, yeah. All the second unit photography is great in this. It's very pulse-pounding. Yeah. yeah. Great. Even, if the, even if the story goes astray. Yeah. Did you? How did you feel about uh, Robert Passarelli? In his, his Wikipedia, it says uh, it lists a couple of his, his films in the paragraph about his work. But in this part, it says, and a career-defining turn as a psychopathic serial killer – uh, in striking distance, a role he wasn't appreciated for at the time, though the box office doesn't reflect that. It's like, okay, someone clearly loves striking distance that wrote his Wikipedia <laughs> article. <laughs> but I it's thought weird. it was a little hammy. I still, it yeah. fits the film like a guilty well, pleasure. Around this time, he was doing Murphy Brown, so I couldn't see him as anything but the con the contractor at Murphy Brown's house. <laughs> so. I guess it was a little jarring to see him in a. He's not even really menacing. Mm. He's he's more petulant than anything else. Um. I do like the motif that they play a uh, Little Red Riding Hood before each murder. Yeah, that was cool. But uh, when it when it is revealed at the end, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a shaggy dog story by that. Yeah. You're just like yeah, all right. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah. I guess they never found his body after he jumped off. Yeah. I mean, they didn't no. even well, look. They said that. They said they <laughs> yeah, couldn't they find his look. mother either. Yeah. It was, what was a little the cover TV. up. 
It, well, yeah, it was a cover-up. That's true. It does just point out how corrupt cops were in this film. So. Yeah. And then, like, the one guy, who's what was the name of the, the sergeant that kept, like, making Bruce Willis's life a living hell? Oh, Brian James. Yeah. Oh, it was, like, the, the, the epitome of, like, being an asshole just to be an asshole. Yeah. I like I'm like, man was, guy was just doing his job, yo. Right. Just <laughs> chill he's out. one good guy in a bad situation. Right. Well, you know, he's and a rock. Getting he tied back to feelings well, quite figured out just yet. He's yeah. one good guy with a depilatory disorder in a bad situation. God. Sorry. Um, yeah, just the fact that like all of the connections coming back to him. Um. Like he was basically trying to get framed as well. It was just like there was a lot going on. It is funny that uh, Robert Pastorelli's character chose to kill women that are related to Bruce as if he was jealous. I don't know what he, they never really established what he would be a, a jealous for. It's it was just he couldn't handle his liquor. It was just lady petty. Yeah. In the beginning, it might have been jealousy, but then like he was just getting even because yeah. he ordered him. Yeah. I'm like, really? Yeah. It's a little thin. What, what, but... What's the best way to like screw with somebody? Just like you know, murder their murder, murder, murder their, their lovers. That, like you had intimate. Like it's a James Bond thing. Like you yeah. had relations that you had a, like closeness. I'm gonna take that away from you because I'm the bad guy. Honestly, and, like you know, the, the ending was kind of Bondian a little bit. Yeah, it's kind, with... of a, it's kind of a an Atlantis supervillain. Yeah, yeah. He's very resilient. I give him that. I did like all the boat stuff, though. Like you said, all the second unit work went really well, but I'm also particularly thinking of like when they're shooting from the boat at what is supposedly uh, the serial killer's car, uh, the, the locations with which they park, the fact that Bruce jumps off to get on that one trawler. Like, everything works well and never feels like it doesn't make sense. So, it don't make sense. It, ga- it gave the movie a mystique that the Distinguishes it from other action movies around that time. Because mm-hmm. that uh, Pittsburgh does become like a character somewhat in the movie. Yeah, I know we love that, yeah. but yeah, I think it's the best it was... part of it. When you set a play, a film in a certain place, it, it really lends itself to you want to have that city absorb the characters. You know? Yeah, right. This film, like, it checked all the boxes of like your your typical you know, police thriller, including, you know, the the male and female partner having a romance halfway through the movie. I'm like, come on, man. Of course he did. Can't keep it. Uh, Although that did lead to but it's Bruno. My favorite my favorite line in the movie, which is when they're talking about like, well what should we do? Like talking about how it's a conflict of interest and like, well we could shoot each other. (laughs) And then one says There'll be too much paperwork. Like that's <laughs> that's it. That's what the movie's about. <laughs> I the core, the core of the story, is yeah. that moment right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they really did establish that relationship pretty well, and it actually yeah. surprised me that they would still want to see each other after she sort of screws him over. Right. He's just like I don't know. I still like you. Because he's a good only sorta. She like you know she had a ch- change of heart and you know yeah, he still uh, helps him. Yeah. Do you have like a standout actor in the supporting cast that you like particularly? 
I always liked Dennis Farina, so I was excited to see him have a pretty meaty role. And he used to be an actual Chicago policeman. So I think this exactly himself. It's like all the people that were in the Sopranos playing gangsters. They knew what they were doing because they. But yeah, he goes back and forth because he plays police and gangsters in the movies. So, yeah, yeah, he just fits that type of role. And this is one of the benefits of casting him in in this. He was a police consultant for Michael Mann for a couple of his things, too, like Thief and Miami Vice. So. He's in Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Yep. What about you? Um, I think Tom Sizemore. He's just perfect at playing sleazy. It's like his last month we we saw him kind of play uh, rascally, but he's still kind of a he's all. There's never a role where he isn't somewhat of a sinner, so it's interesting to see him. Because um, a few years after this, he'll be the lead in uh, the Relic. Where he's like the lead detective, and he's more wholesome. So it's interesting to see he has a little bit of a range. Yeah, yeah. The nineties were really his time. Like we, with our four films we chose, they were a good example of all his work. Even Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what you chose, right, Jeff? For which one? Tom Sizemore last last month. Yeah, I think it might have been. <laughs> Yeah, just like yeah, yeah that. that's what I picked. Yeah, sure. sure, that's the uh, ticket. I don't know, man. Ago, last month, last month was three thousand years ago. So, yep. <laughs> Go watch the link if you want to see my choice. <laughs> yeah. Um. What about you guys? Do you like anyone in particular? Uh, I'm I'm I'm, I'm gonna agree with Corey with on Tom Sizemore a bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Can't go wrong with Tom Sizemore until no, he starts getting his uh, hands on drugs. And like, yeah. God damn it. Jesus. This is mirroring his real life. Can't can't deal with him. I mean, that's where his magic came from. I get like where's magic. It worked till it didn't. He so... burned brightest until he couldn't. <laughs> magic dust. All right. Uh... <laughs> Can we not end on a sour note like that? I'm trying to think of anything else. <laughs> Anyone else that we didn't mention? I I'm glad you brought up Brian James. Uh but yeah, Timothy Busfield though, he was mostly a TV actor. Yeah, I mean he nice pops up next to Little Big League, but right. he's also in Field of Germans. He's in two of the best uh baseball movies. We only heard one of them. So Andre Brower, this is his second thing he's ever done for like homicide and all the other stuff. Brooklyn nine nine, of course, but he has a, a decent scene uh, discussing the case with Sarah Jessica Parker. So it was cool to see him young. Uh, yeah, that was that was nice. It was just, you know, he's just going to be a cop now forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna be he, fit, he fits it too. You know, he has yes. that authoritarian he in does. his face. I did like, oh, I mean, one of the, the he, he's not in it for, for very long, but the first thing I had on my notes was, hey, it's the dad from Frasier. Yeah, yep. John Mahoney. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good old John, John Mahoney. Mahoney. He's great. Also also a Chicago guy. Both he and Farina started in the Steppenwolf Theater. Yeah. And we had just got to see him earlier in the year in Barton Fink. True. A little bit. If anyone watched that this year. If anybody watched. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's a he's a great character actor, popping up in a lot of things in the '90s, and of course, big claim to fame for Frasier. When did that start? This year, '93. 
when did Shears end? Uh, 1993, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, so I don't know how long the turnaround was between that and Frazier, but... I feel like it was the next fall. Makes sense. And now, 1993. Yeah. As we're recording, there's a new iteration of Frazier coming on the air next month. Yeah. Oh, yeah, September 16th was uh, the yeah. day... We're recording on September 17th, which happens to be the date this came out 30 years ago, by the way. I love when that happens. Uh, but perfect. perfect September 16th, the day before, was the day Frasier premiered. So if you uh, happen to catch that on TV and then went to see Striking Distance, you're like, who's that guy? That guy's great. He's not supposed to be there without Eddie. Yeah. So I wish Eddie had a cameo. Even though this uh, didn't make more than like $3 million, I think. What do we say? Well, uh, it off. Oh, it made eight million. It came in first. This, I think, is the first or second film we got in first place this year. But then it didn't really do much else. It dropped off immediately. Still a good week for John Mahoney. So, so Bruce was doing movies that maybe in the uh, test of time haven't really stood up. At least he was still making money for studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I still like this movie though. Nice, nice surprise because i i was nervous i'd seen a scene a couple of years ago and i'm like i this looks like a fun noir set in the 90s because i i caught the scene where uh time sizemore comes home to bruce willis i'm like oh this is moody it's set in a houseboat you don't see that a lot anymore so yeah, yeah you like don't Mur see houseboats that much these days yeah he's like Murtaugh. yeah so i'd give this an a for sure wow definitely a guilty pleasure but i'd watch it again in a couple of years or so it's on TV. I'd probably go uh, B minus. I like it. The uh, the caper aspect's a little predictable. Mm. Um, the whodunit stuff is very predictable. It's derivative. It's outlandish, but that's part of its charm. It exploits the uh, location very well. And um, Bruce is always going to be in stoic. Big cells and stuff. Like, and it's got a great gallery of character actors mm -hmm. i give it a b i liked it like i mm. said it was a solid thriller mm. a little bit uh chaotic toward the end but like i wasn't necessarily bored yeah or as bored as i have been on some other things we've watched but yeah like Billy Billy yeah for a hidden gem this is definitely yeah. this 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 falls into that category because it was <laughs> enjoyable to see the character actor work and I don't know. I genuinely like it was it was a solid thriller. So yeah. How about you, Jimmy? Solid A. Yeah. Good yeah. good 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 round A. Yeah. If Jimmy doesn't give something to A, then you know it's bad. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. Basically A or B, or A or C. It's like the Asian standard. Like you got to get A. Anything below an A is like e. a fail. So if I give something a B, then like I gotta, I gotta one of these days sit down and go through our videos and see what our grades were for everything. See if there's actually a pattern. Yeah. No, I definitely have given good movies Bs before. Because so. I don't pay attention to what you guys do. I know I try to give a range. I know I, I don't really ever give anything a D or an F, but. Have we ever given anything an F? I think Billy Bathgate, I was about to say, I feel yeah. like that's the worst the worst one, and it's not even that bad. Worst it's kind of boring. 
Air America was pretty bad. I know you hate that. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of anything I really hated. Uh, yeah. I'm glad we all like this. I was worried this was going to be a stinker. So. Don't worry, he's really? got plenty. Oh, he's got plenty more movies been. that we could talk about. The worst. Really, really the just worst, the name. The worst part of the movie for me was Brian James. Yeah. He's pretty standard. He was just yeah. like, he was too intense in his hatred. Yeah. yeah. He had no reason to be mad either. Bruce yeah. was just doing his job. But I guess no, there's going to be some like, alpha male taking you down a peg. He's you know, holding the line, you know. He's, he's, he's the original back the blue, you know. He's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you instead of doing your paperwork, you are playing that harmonica. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> yeah. Go back to that club, that blues club. There were other films that came out this month. Obviously, didn't make it to number one, but uh, California with a K, which is a serial killer movie with uh, Brad Pitt, Juliette Lewis, Dave Duchovny. Dave Duchovny plays a journalist who's researching serial killers and just by happenstance picks up one. Huh. That's what that is? Okay. Yeah. Um, Fun. Very contrived. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. I've heard good and bad things. So if you if you really like it, you love it. If you don't, you hate it. I was not a fan. Okay. Uh, it's very stereotypical. Uh, Juliette Lewis is playing her white trash role, which she was doing a lot of in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brad Pitt's a bit too much of a dullard in the movie to be a serial killer. So I wasn't convinced by him in the role either. Ah, uh, shame. Well, he's he's still coming off of. Uh... That shitty movie that we almost watched for the podcast. Oh, Johnny Swade. Yeah, Johnny Swade. I thought you were gonna say True Romance. I'm like, how dare you, sir? No. Oh yeah, he did that in between. That's that's really when he started getting seen. Them Louise and Johnny if Swade. If that character was a serial killer, that's basically what this would be. The slacker. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm guessing this movie came out living and then went wide. Uh, the Joy Luck Club. Mm, mm-hmm. The uh, the, uh, the adaptation of Amy Tan's novel. Yeah, I've never seen it, so I can't vouch for its uh, quality. But has anybody else seen it or read the book? We read it for English class in sophomore year, I think. So that might have not come to you guys because I, yeah, I think you guys had different teachers. But uh, I remember seeing a scene, and I was like, "This is pretty well done. I should watch this someday." <laughs> never got around to it. I like Ming Na though, so I want to see it someday. Did you watch it? I didn't. Okay, I've heard good things. Obviously, I didn't do. I didn't read ahead because uh, True Romance came out this month. Oh right. So, <laughs> which one came out first? Uh yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, uh, True Romance came out this month, which many people think is Tony uh, Scott's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's a really good crime thriller. It's actually an early um, script by Quentin Tarantino. And uh, talk about a gallery character actors. Actually, Tom Sizemore shows up in this. What? He's, he's in doing everything. It? Yeah, he's in a lot of movies this year. He just doesn't yeah. quit. Um, the, movie, bright. the movie itself is a great serpentine, uh, like, very unrepentantly violent crime drama with uh, Christian Slater and uh, Patricia Arquette. Um, 
Gary Oldman in a role that you couldn't do nowadays. Mm -hmm. Plays like a Rastafarian <laughs> gangster. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think the movie's a lot of fun. Have you guys seen it? Jeff and Jimmy? I don't think so. I think so. Yeah, I mean, if you like Tarantino stuff, you'll like this. Yes. Mm. Well, yeah, it's, it's like if Reservoir Dogs is his first film, this is 0. 0.5. It was like a test to see if he was good. Right. So... Um, but then uh, a movie with a tragic backstory called uh, Money for Nothing came out. Oh, right. Yeah. So the, it's based on a true story about this guy who found a um, an armored truck, uh, dropped a bag of money, and he found it on the side of the road at, I, I want to say it was Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, took it and tried money laundering it. And it, it spiraled out of control. Uh, in real life, the guy committed suicide right around the time of the uh, the release of the film. Yeah, like um, August 93. The movie itself kind of whitewashes his image because by all accounts, he was a bit of a junkie. And they don't go into any of that in the movie. They almost make him like kind of a Robin Hood type figure, which seems kind of disingenuous. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's not it's not worth watching, unfortunately, even for uh John Cusack completist like myself. Damn. I I would have wanted to watch it. Oh, Benicio de Toro is in it though. And Philip Seymour Robin and James Gandolfini. Yeah. There, yeah, huh. see there's a yeah, another, another good cast. cast. Michael Madsen. He plays the detective mm -hmm. on his trail. Lenny Venito's in it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> they have a connection there. Yeah, um, I kind of want to watch it nonetheless. Yeah, for, all that, watch for that cast, just to see it. I know, you know, Debbie even with lower expectations, sure, you're fine with it. Um, kind of a underrated uh, Scorsese movie because of the change of pace for him. Uh, Age of Innocence came out. Mm-hmm. The first uh, collaboration with Daniel Day Lewis. It's not like the typical. Uh, Scorsese movie because it's a period piece. Um, and uh, I think honestly, he excels with this movie. He, it, I think the movie's lush. It's beautiful. It's set in the Gilded Age and is about the intricacies in romantic society and the hierarchy between the people that lived on the Upper West Side and the people that lived down from Midtown South. Because Midtown wasn't really developed yet. Times Square was just forming. And so the people that really owned power in the city were surrounding Central Park. That's why it became such a big area. And that's why all those mansions are so expensive now. But right. at the time, there was like a handful of people that owned everything because they were Vanderbilt or other barons of society, uh, of industry in society. And so the the parties that people would hold, you had to know who had the cards at the door. Like you would go to a place, some servant would send their card to let you know that they were coming to the party a week from now. And everyone knew who was on the list. So that was how anyone knew how anything got done. And all the business was done at these parties. So it's almost like a Gangs in New York or a Goodfellas, but what's happening in New York, like at the highest level in the 1890s. He and takes so, that aesthetic and puts it into like a Merchant Ivory movie. Right. And so Daniel Day-Lewis is of money, 
Michelle Pfeiffer is new money mm-hmm. and Winona Ryder is also of money, but is in they're both in love with him and there's a bit of a love triangle. It's expected that Daniel Lewis should end up with Winona Ryder, but he wants Michelle Pfeiffer and, and it goes on from there. So have you, have you seen it, Tristan? Yeah, yeah, that's why I know what to say. I um, love it. Yeah, you made a big deal of me not liking it as much when I first saw it, but the more I think of it, it it's haunting, especially the final shot. So, um, it's definitely a dis a uh, a uh, uh, it's different from your typical Scorsese film, but it's just you see everything he does in his other films in the cinematography and the performances. It's it's definitely easy to see someone putting that at the top of their list. So. The script um, he doesn't like wait, top 10, the, again? the age, age of, of innocence. innocence. Hmm. You'd like you it would, actually. You yeah. would like it, Jimmy. Yeah, you probably would. I watched it with you sleeping in the next room. So you, you make it kind of watch it throughout. So speaking of somebody coming of age, <laughs> um, the the movie that put this filmmaker on the map, I think more so than even his earlier movies, and a movie that's probably a cult classic now is uh, Days of Confused for Richard Linklater. Mm. I think uh, this is the movie that probably he's going to be um, is going to be on his is going to be on his epitaph. But this is wild because we've been talking about a lot of movies this episode about amazing ensembles and talk about an amazing ensemble in this. You got early role for Matthew McConaughey. Uh, Ben Affleck, um, Adam Goldberg, mm-hmm. a lot of people are pop up in this, and uh, it's it's very it's episodic. It's kind of a, it's like the definitive hangout movie. Yeah, but I I love the movie. We talk about um, that we couldn't really make an American Graffiti today because it would take place in like 2012, based on the distance it was, you know, covering. But yeah. Days and Confused does that for the 80s. And it's it's sort of like the American Graffiti of '93. Yeah, because it all takes place in one night in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about that night before you realize you're an adult, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So. American Graffiti has the same thing when they're graduating. Mm-hmm. Um, a repugnant movie that probably blemished. Uh, Blemish this young actor's career. Uh, the Good Son came out this month. Repugnant, really? It's horrible. I've never it's, seen it. The, the movie's tasteless. Mm. Um, it's Macaulay Culkin basically playing a juvenile delinquent, and he takes his uh, cousin. I think it's his cousin, uh, Elijah Wood, under his wing mm-hmm. to show him how to, uh, you know, throw dummies off of overpasses so that cars will have pileups. It's just mad because you like simple pranks. Yeah, that sounds fun. And doesn't he get a comeuppance in the end or something? Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, Yeah, that's why you hate it because you like everything up until then is horrible. Okay. It's just, it it, it makes you feel filthy. Yeah. And not in a fun way. I'm looking forward to it. That's concerning. Maybe you'll like it. It's malicious yeah. in a way that you probably appreciate, you sick bastard. Yeah. I hate Home Alone, so. Oh, then you'll like it. This is like if Kevin was a, was a serial killer. Good. If, yeah. if Kevin was Jeffrey Dahmer, this is what this movie would be. Yeah. So, like, what everybody thinks 
Home Alone is anyway. This is the real version of Home Alone. Yeah. He's setting up traps for people. <laughs> um, Robert De Niro has directorial debut this month. Oh, yeah, this is a big a, one. With a great adaptation of Chaz Palminteri's um, Broadway show, A Bronx Tale. Phenomenal movie. Probably, if we didn't have done Striking Distances, probably would have been the other one, but I think it's pretty well popular known. enough, yeah. Yeah, people people know this for it making Chaz Palminteri's career. Yes, so yeah. I would love to have seen the stage version of this. Yeah, because I think it's a one man show. Yeah, Jeff might know mm -hmm. more about this. Now you said musical, but I think it was a one man show to begin with, and now it's a musical because I think they readapted it. Incidentally, a it's it's a slightly larger cast. Um, I'm actually not too familiar with the show or the movie. Uh, oh, okay, I don't know anything but, either. Uh, just that it made Chaz. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, if anybody gets a chance, definitely check out the movie. The movie's fantastic. Actually, De Niro had chops behind the camera. I on the list he would direct see. more. Yeah, because Good Shepherd's decent. Uh, yeah, this is good. But these are those are the only two movies he's directed. Yeah. The movie that uh, probably was the flagship HBO TV film, uh, and the band played on. Oh, Jamie and I watch this. Yeah, it's uh, and it was also at the height of us being aware of the uh, AIDS epidemic, and that's what the movie's about. Do you remember watching this, Jimmy? With uh, what is his name? The main guy, Matthew Modine. Yeah, Matthew Modine, and he's a doctor that investigates the AIDS virus. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, no, that we watch it. Like we watch it early in the pandemic, which was yeah, sort of no, I do. Okay, there we go. Trying yeah, to find vaccines and stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Steve Martin has that cameo. Pretty good. Yeah. He's playing a wild and crazy guy. Well, with a communicable disease. No, his uh, brother has it, I think, and he's rich, so he wants to figure out what's wrong with him. So he'll pay for it, but like he helps bankroll some of the uh, investigation into Is the science. Played by Rick Moranis. Uh, That's been cool. Uh, now, but this movie, um, I guess, up until then, most. TV films had a bad rap because they had low production value. They looked kind of cheap. Mm -hmm. and, uh, they were like, and a movie like this would be like a, a Hallmark movie or an ABC movie of the week. Mm -hmm. But um, this actually looked like it was shot cinematically. So I could actually see, I think I, you and I were talking about when we discussed this, um, a movie got legitimacy in my mind if it had a small theatrical run or was talked about on Siskel and Ebert. And I remember them reviewing this. Yeah. And they said this could have played in theaters. And that's sort of what HBO wanted because they were like, it's not TV, it's HBO. They were trying to make slogan, yeah. things like And the Band Played On have legitimacy in people's minds because when you went to TV as an actor, it looked like you were going on a lower level. But they wanted people like Matthew Modine and Steve Martin, who did this uncredited cameo, and that's why I brought him up, because it looked like it was shameful for him to have taken a role in a TV movie. But that was the point. They wanted this to become the standard. And now today, you have things like, I was going to go see the new Gail Garcia Bernal movie, Cassandro, in theaters, but it's by the time this comes out on, you know, on the YouTube and stuff, Cassandra's on Amazon. So it's because it has the week-long release, but it's really an Amazon movie. They got the uh, 
That Killers of the Flower Moon is going to have a small theatrical run that's going to Apple TV. And that's Scorsese. So it's kind of yeah, so. kind of the standard now. So And the band plays on is more important than people realize just for covering the AIDS epidemic. It's the standard bearer for what will become streaming, essentially. So, so we see the lines flowing from 93 there. So 30 years after now we're here. I think it's a good and bad thing. Because then you have the quality... But then there's a, a glut of films that aren't as good being stuck in streaming. So then you have to sift for the quality. Find the hidden gems. But I don't know that the poster boy is a hidden gem per se, so I had never heard of it. It's not. <laughs> uh, He's like, no, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> oh, it's so, Ghost too. So, what? I'd like you to describe what's happening in this poster, and then I have a question for you. Okay, so mm. backdrop is a bright, cloudy blue sky uh, mm. with a couple embracing um, and the dude holding her from behind also has rollerblades hanging over his shoulder. Mm -hmm. They both look like they're from some humdrum country town and he tries to spice up their life a little bit by getting the involved local, in line skating the local okay. preacher won't let him is that god damn you john lithgow even close to the plot because that wasn't the question but i like how your uh, mind worked there <laughs> i like i like what you're thinking kid yeah she's uh, a simple country gal you know it's funny he's a is that basically the plot because i never looked this up he's no, a wannabe it's like that, the founding of the X Games. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, those rollerblades are a red herring. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah, so let me, this is total false advertising. Let me ask you given that they're in the lower left corner of the poster, what do you think is in the sky? Because obviously title, I've removed it. The title or a tagline or a UFO? Is there a UFO? I wish. Is it an airplane? No. It's a is gigantic. It a bird? Is it a plane? Is it Superman? No, you're not none of them. I'll just give you one of them. It's more rollerblade. Is this hackers? No, this isn't hackers. Hackers. It's skate ninjas. Skate ninjas. I don't know why they're showing rollerblades in this fucking poster. Uh-huh. Blades so, of glory. Given that Corey said this is not what this is about, what would you uh, say is the plot of this film? Some guy trying to find himself and impress a gal. That's okay. literally that, if it's not about rollerblades, I have no idea. I know. If it's, it's not about nothing, so we don't this guy, for that. Wait, hang on. So at some point, this guy has to figure out how to save the world. There's gonna be a bomb that's diffused. That's like gleaming somehow, the cube kind and of he thing. uses the rollerblades to get there as fast as he can. <laughs> After <laughs> the good. entire movie, people have said, Why are you the entire movie? People said, Why are you rollerblading? You look like a you look like an idiot. You, you look like a punk. Yeah. And then he saves the day by rollerblading to the bomb that he needs to defuse to keep the hospital of children from collapsing. Better than the Flash. Wait, wait, wait. I was going to say, I, he put one in answer? a microwave. <laughs> this is, this is, this is a, actually a, a, a Nolan film. This is a, a Joker origin story. This is how he got the scars. Oh my god! Because he tripped. Yeah, because he tripped. Uh, look at him. He's not wearing protective yeah, gear at all. He's not wearing yeah. a helmet. He's not wearing knee pads. 
He's got cut off jeans. He's got to skin the shit off. He's just no, no, you wear, know what it is? You know what it is? That the, shit in the movie. I don't he, know why. he meets that the dream girl of his in the afterlife because he smashed his fucking head open on a curb. Oh, so given that you story. said that, given that what is happening in this poster, what would you call it? Uh, airtime. <laughs> He's close. What are they right now? Getting some air. <laughs> kind Getting of. What is the word for that? <laughs> Lift. Lift off. Lift off? No. Air is yeah, title. It's a synonym. Yeah, you were closer, but air you had a synonym. Jordan. Air Bud. Oh my God. Is oh. this the kid that turns into the dog? <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That is not air, the plot of Air Bud. Air Bud Origins. <laughs> that is not the plot of Air Bud. <laughs> Michael Jeter uh, gives him the formula. I, I left this for the end. Shaggy dog. Getting some air. I left this for the end. I should have had the title come up first, but it's Airborne. Airborne. So you kind of had it by lift off. You know, it's, it's tough to like get that from this. This is giving nothing. So now that you know the title and you know nothing of the plot still, what would you say? <laughs> give a tagline to Airborne. Hmm. Some days. Or just not in line with the others. <laughs> not in line. Not in line with the others. Ugh. You're doing better than they did. Because <laughs> man wasn't meant to fly. Kids were. <laughs> Here's another tagline. What? what? Mitchell became the most popular guy on earth once he took to the sky. And heroes aren't made. They're airborne. So... How many taglines do they need? They have a, right. and what is, I've never seen a tagline curved like that over their head. Yeah, and this is not photoshopped. Man is blurring into the clouds, so it took me a lot to squint and figure yeah. out what that actually said. That's why I just said it for you, because it would take forever to read that. There's no Heroes surprise are that this failed. They're um, airborne. So he's a superhero. What is the actual plot core? Okay, so Mitchell is a surfer. He's not a rollerblader. A oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> He's a surfer who gets relocated to a new school and has to live with uh, his cousin, played by Seth Green. The movie's like ginger representation all over the place. That Mitchell kid has burnt orange hair. Everybody in the movie has burnt orange hair. Hmm. Um, Why do they have rollerblades? Because uh, he rollerblades to the beach so he can surf. So... And then at one point he's playing hockey too. So this kid's like a jack of all trades with any like recreational sport. Yeah. So they just took some quick Photoshop shots and yeah, I mean, Photoshop he, did it exist in '93? I forget. I mean, fair enough. He he rollerblades quite a bit in the movie, but he's primarily a surfer. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm there's a Photoshop. there's a bully in the movie. That I swear was one of the faculty. Mm-hmm. Dude looked like he was in his mid-30s. And but interesting. interesting interesting piece of trivia. One of the bullies um lackeys is played by Jack Black. Oh. He actually has a big role in the movie. Is it like the first role he had? He was in Never Ending Story three or two. Okay. I don't know if that was before or after this. Yeah. Um, it's funny because Photoshop had just 
debuted in 1990. I just looked it up. I never knew. But Windows or uh, Photoshop 2.5 came out in 1992 and was the first available for Windows. So I wonder if this mm -hmm. is what they did. They're like, ah, I can whip something up real quick. Yeah. And yeah, ironically, 30 years later, here I am using generative fill to take that stuff away and just have a cloud background. Well, here to undo the what they what they did. What disaster they wrought. <clears throat> so what fresh hell is this? What a terrible film <laughs> it looks like. Was it bad? You've seen it, I it's, guess. It's okay. This okay. It, it looks it, like it's better than ski school that I had to suffer through earlier. Yeah. It looks like um a straight to video superhero movie. I I'd be sh I was shocked that this even got a theatrical release. Yeah, I didn't see it come up when I was looking at the box office, so it didn't make the top ten if it even got in there. There you go. Also, it straight to video eventually. Yeah. Quick uh, sidebar: we mentioned Jack Black. His Jack Black's first film, first role ever, was teen wearing hat in the nineteen eighty two commercial for Pitfall on Atari. <laughs> Oh, wow. really? You just knew this? No, I just looked it up. <laughs> he just the hell do you think I'm doing over here? I'm to be impressed with you. Because I didn't see your fast hands typing away. Uh, he's like, oh, an autobiographer. No. I thought you were just a big Jack Black fan. You're just like Jack Black. <laughs> yeah. Seems like someone you'd love. And now we will all know that. That is a thing we all know now. Yeah. So when someone is... Black. So when someone starts talking about how awesome Jack Black is, you can say, you know. If you know. And then they'll be like, all right, moving on with my day. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you learn that? Well, the Interjections <laughs> podcast. Have you seen our pug? I learned it from Jeff, who's you basically can... his biographer. I learned it from watching you. <laughs> uh, so, who do, you, uh, who do you think we should cover for picks of the month? I made a suggestion in the guide that I gave you guys last night at like 11 p.m. Sarah Jessica? Yeah, there's Sarah Jessica Parker. We didn't cover in a L.A. story. And Dennis Farina had a significant role in this. So I'd, I'd think either of them would work. They both have good enough filmographies that we could drum something up for either of them. We covered Bruce during Death Becomes Her. And we had Tom Sizemore last month. So I got my Sarah Jessica Parker. I know what I would have, though. Yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker, I kind of have only one choice, really. Yeah. It involves magic and Halloween. Yeah, what's that? She was in Practical Hocus Magic? Yeah. Hocus Pocus, yeah. She was yeah, in the Hocus Pocus. Yeah, that's fine. It's a good choice. Is that Jeff's pick, though? Because I could see him picking Hocus Pocus. <laughs> that's bogus. Hang on. I got to go through. No, I actually didn't like Hocus but... Pocus. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Jeff. You didn't like Hocus Pocus? I thought you did. It was okay. Or, I don't love it. I like the second one better. Yeah. Weird. All right, and let's see if... I'm looking. Let's, let's see if uh, you have the pick I, I would go with. Because if not, I'll try to choose something else. I saw... I'll probably pick one that I don't think anybody's going to talk about. Just because okay. she has a bigger role in it than uh, the other three movies that would probably be my top pick. Okay. Uh, Extreme Measures. Oh, good choice. Okay. Yeah. Oh. You, know what... you know what I'm going to pick. Maybe. Mars Attacks. 
Oh, good. That's what that I was, was the other. That was the one I would have picked, but she. Uh, yeah, that's right. She is in that movie. I forgot. So, barely uh, in it, so. You guys want to guess what I would pick? Yeah, I, I know what it is. Yeah. Honeymoon in Vegas. It's the other one with Tim Burton. Yeah, Ed Wood. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Good. We all pick different things. Without having to shuffle. Yeah, she had a pretty good '90s as well. Obviously, we just picked her next four films. When did Sex in the City start? Uh, 2000, 98, 98. Okay. I think. I didn't write it down in our guide. I just said that she did it. So. Actually, I th- there's a movie I thought you were going to pick. Mm, what's that? Stay in Maine. Stay in Maine is a good film. I forget her in that. Who, who did she play in that? She plays the bumbling blonde actress. The one that Alec Baldwin supposedly slept with? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the things I remember from that are mainly William H. Macy and Philip Seymour Hoffman. They're okay. so good in that. Fair. I mean, William H. Macy, I think, uh, gets all the credit for Fargo, and then he did Shameless later, obviously, but yeah. he's so good in State and Maine. That's that's the thing you want to watch for him. Underrated movie. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's 01, so we're not going to cover yeah. it. But we'll I get a William H. Macy film in 98. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, I think we picked four good films. She she had just like Tom Sizemore, she was she was getting big in uh, the nineties. So obviously parlayed that into a very successful TV show. So yeah. yeah. What are we gonna cover next month? Well, I forget exactly what this is about, but if I I'll try to stumble through it. Uh, a film called Judgment Night, where uh, four guys their car breaks down. Or they get into trouble because of a bachelor party? Possibly both. They're... I don't know exactly, and I, I've tried not to look it up so I can be surprised while we watch it, but okay, I know Emilio Estevez is in it, and there's three of his friends, and I think they they get into like dangerous neighborhood, and they have to fight some gangs or something. Uh-oh. I forget exactly. Yeah, what's, what's, the, what's the plot? Um, one of them gets a. Uh, they're they're supposed to go to a boxing match. They got I, tickets for a boxing match. They they turn in the wrong neighborhood. Okay. Uh, and they witness ah murder. Okay. And then, then those murderers chase them. It yeah. takes, yeah. one takes place over one night. Yeah, love when that happens. Dennis Leary plays the villain. Ooh. Hmm. Ooh. He might be our pick of the month. I'm telling you, that'd be a good one. All right. Cool. And uh, and just to say it now, before I forget in the actual episode, we wanted to go with Judgment Night because we'd done <laughs> Hot Shots Part Two earlier in the year. So now we're getting both brothers. Right. So. And Martin didn't do anything this year. Yeah. All right. Well, glad we had a nice surprise with Striking Distance. I hope you all yeah. enjoyed our uh, discussion of that. But we'll see you next month for uh, Judgment Night. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see if Jimmy's computer works this time. Yeah. Well, we'll just continue using my tablet instead. It's worked fine. Yeah, it's worked fine. It's worked fine.